to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity management, supply chain management, crisis management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Today, we're going to be talking about building team resilience. And it's really interesting because today's guest reached out to me to be on the show. See, I've always told you, if you want to be a guest, just reach out. And today, I'm lucky enough, somebody did that. And I'll tell you in a minute how that happened. But I want to welcome to the show team building expert, entrepreneur, organizational psychologist, and author, Catherine McEwen. Catherine, welcome to the show. Oh, Alex, it's so lovely to be here in conversation with you. Thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for reaching out. And as I mentioned, it was really interesting how you reached out. You were listening to one of the previous episodes uh, with Tammy Horton, who happened to mention your work. Yeah, so it was sort of, I was listening, it was almost like being channeled, and I thought, oh my goodness, <laughs> and Tammy did a wonderful job, and, and I just thought I might be able to build on that, actually, Alex. Well, I'm glad you reached out, because I thought this would, would be a great topic for everybody. There's so much talk about resilience right now, whether we, whether it be personal, team, uh, organizational, you know, community, the, resilience, there's just a lot of talk about it right now, so I'm really glad you reached out about that. Before we jump into any topic, could you take a, a minute or so and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got into all of this? Yeah, absolutely. So I started my journey, if you like, into resilience at work around 15 years ago, I think it is now, Alex. And um, it was really in relation to my clients asking me for resilience. So this word was emerging. It was sort of the start of what we we eventually call VUCA. And um, I thought, well, this is really interesting. And um, I'm an organizational psychologist, so we like to measure everything. (laughs) So right from the beginning, I was interested in, well, what actually is this concept called resilience when we apply it to work? How do we measure it? Because we need to be able to measure it before we can build it. And that started me on a a 15-year episode, as as I mentioned, around measuring. So I started off looking at measuring individual resilience. What does it look like to be an employee who's resilient? And then teams and leadership, because for me, the systemic approach is really important. It's all about alignment. And what what was a sort of a side curiosity, I suppose, became quite a large part of my work, because unexpectedly, the measures were um, really resonating with academics. So they sort of created um, a large research base globally with all sorts of weird and wonderful applications of resilience in different occupations. And of course, the practitioners, they were really interested in uh, the measurement and then subsequently all the resources that we then use and the processes we use to build. And then more recently, um, in the last two years, in this emerging world where AI is going to be so dominant, I became really interested in how do we use technology to really scale this and how cool would it be if every team in every organisation had resilience in their DNA and Mm -hmm. that we could collect some amazing data that could um, inform um, all our plans. So so it's sort of, it's um, it's been an evolution and it's gone from what the Americans might call a side hustle to my main work, really, I think. I still do other things like mediating and um, coaching, but this is definitely my main focus these days. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, chatting with you, especially when it comes to the measurement part, because yes. I think that's a really a big challenge for a lot of people. How how do we manage 
uh, measure uh, resilience and measure many other things. Um, so I'm looking forward to when we get to that part. But my first yeah. question for you, and I'm sure you probably know what it's going to be, is how do you define resilience? Yes, definition is always contentious. And um, there's actually academic papers just debating it. <laughs> And um, I'm I'm a bit of a, a practical person, um, and um, so when people said what's resilience, I listened to what they saw as an outcome. You know, so I, I sort of looked at, you know, they know what resilience looks like when they smell it, feel it, hear it. What is that? And then how does that then inform my definition? Because my work was always about measuring and developing, so you have the outcomes in mind. And so right from the beginning, I avoided some of the dilemmas about throwing away the word resilience and calling it anti-fragility or something else because it didn't quite capture, you know, the bounce back piece. So right from the beginning, my version was it's a healthier relationship with the challenges we have. So it's managing the everyday pressures in a healthy way. So that's the sustainability piece, which is huge at the moment. How do we sustain our performance without burning out? But it's also adapting. So it's um, it's also adapting to setbacks. And that's the um, growth mindset at an individual level, but it's actually the continuous improvement and the agility um, to, to stay relevant at the team level. And then the last bit of the definition is proactively anticipating challenges. So that's about, you know, that's about having um, an eye on the horizon, having that external radar around what is it we need to be mindful of in terms of risks and opportunities? So there's that three levels of um, managing the everyday stuff in a healthy way, adapting and growing, and then proactively positioning. And so right from the beginning 15 years ago when I first developed um, a definition of individual resilience, that's what it was. And the only difference between the individual definition and the team definition is the word collectively managed. But that word collectively <laughs> packs an enormous punch because trying to get collective alignment, is, as, as we'll talk about, is uh, is really interesting on a team, as, as we all know. I, I got a quick question because you mentioned um, anticipating, uh, you know, adverse situations and being able to always um, uh, respond effectively, shall we say, mm -hmm. to situations is it responding effectively to every situation? Because sometimes you can be really good and a team can be really good in an organization and then something really happens that can send everyone for a loop. But does that mean they all of a sudden can, they're resilient up to a point and then they're not resilient? You're quite right. There's no way we can anticipate every challenge, but my work is looking at creating a DNA in the team, if you like, so that whatever happens, they have, joint problem solving, they have connectedness across with other teams and with their stakeholders. They have a sense of optimism and positivity. You know, they have all of those elements that um, that we use in our measurement of resilience that create a DNA that even if the challenges are not the ones they anticipated, which is probably, you know, 90% of the time at the moment, mm. they actually have mm. the capacity in their dynamics, in their processes, in their relationships that it's not as big a deal as it might have been otherwise, if that if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, let, let's look at the uh, building resilient teams now, because yeah. you have some uh, interesting uh, components uh, that make up. Mm. Yeah. Can you explain um, all those different uh, components that make up how you build resilient teams? Yeah, sure. And it's important to note that this came out of the measure. So when I talk about these components, uh, we um, developed a psychometric measure, you know, with all the um, scientific rigor that you have to have around that. Um, and the, the, the survey is 43 items, but there's these seven components, which I'm actually going to speak about. So the measure and the model are one and the same thing, if you like. And just to backtrack, um, how we derived this assessment was looking at teams and seeing, you know, and this is this is about six, seven years ago now, seeing that teams were needing to actually do quite additional things to actually stay relevant and to be, um, I wouldn't say thriving, but managing their challenges. 
And we've had decades of research on what creates an effective team, but there were different things happening. And so this model, this model, model and measure really are looking at basics of team effectiveness, but the emerging factors in this, what was called VUCA world, but now is apparently it's called Barney world, the brittle, anxious, nonlinear and incomprehensible world. I learned that word the other day from a, from a colleague. Um, um, so, so these are them. And it's just a very, a very brief summary. And, and even though I'm talking about them individually, they're all inter, interrelated in some way. So, so we have to be quite a robust team. You know, we have to have real clarity of our shared purpose and our goals, and we have to be very proactive in terms of ma managing our issues. And I like to think of this as that real sweet spot between disruption and making sure we don't lose the core important things to us. And, you know, sometimes we can disrupt so much, particularly in the days of COVID, people were doing a lot of the old pivoting, and I think sometimes mm. they lost their core values and purpose and had to return to those. Um, you know, disruptors in um, the tech industry are a good example of that. Maybe, you know, too much disruption, loss of values and, and you know, ethics in that. We also have to be really resourceful. So if you think about one of the drivers of resilience in teams is too much to do with not enough staff, resources, money, et cetera, et cetera. That imbalance um, that we know from our org psych literature, that, you know, that imbalance between demands and resources creates stress. So teams have to be really resourceful. They have to um, really prioritise, ruthlessly prioritise. They have to ruthlessly optimise their strengths and their resources and bring those to the table to meet those priorities. They have to be resourceful across teams rather than, you know, silos and, you know, this is my budget, not your budget and so on. Um, the next one's perseverance. You know, I mean, gosh, the last two years, that's that's mm -hmm. been huge. And you've got to remember all these were before COVID, right? You know, so all of these just, you know, nothing's changed. It's just become more important. So perseverance, you know, so when things go wrong, you know, What's happening in our team? You know, if we are truly resilient on the perseverance component, we are regrouping, we're going into solution focus, we have a degree of hope and optimism, it's planning with optimism, planning with positivity. We're all in it. We're not looking to Alex as our leader to motivate us. You know, it's a real sense of getting on with it. Um, or, or finding one person to to give you all the answers to everything. Correct, yeah. And, I mean, one of the evolving things in that area is the critical importance of collective leadership. You know, we can't have one or two people, or you know, whether it's the leader or anyone else, problem-solving. The solutions are too complex. What got us to where we, we are is not what's going to get us to the next stage. So mm -hmm. diversity and, you know, so this is all around problem solving together, staying, um, staying hot, you know, with hope. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we have to do it healthily. So, you know, so it's all very well, you know, um, to do the sprint, as we know, but this is a marathon. <laughs> so self-care is a really important piece. And it's, for me, in teams, it's the culture of self-care. So we focused probably too much <laughs> on individual self-care in the last couple of years. But we can't do that if we don't have agreement across the team around boundaries and, you know, what what it looks like in terms of hours and um, work-life integration and providing breaks. Uh, and so those aligned and agreed boundaries and expectations of how we look after each other here is such a big part of the sustainable piece of the performance in a team. It's kind of, and then I, I guess, yeah, yeah, Catherine's in. online at 7 a.m. Um, working, but that doesn't mean I have to be and everybody else should be. That kind Correct. of thing, right? Correct, yeah. Or um, we're all about self-care here, but we're going to have a 7 a.m. weekly meeting. Yeah. So, you know, the, the overt... <laughs> This is the real way it works. You know, the more we have collective conversations around how we look after each other, the more that gives me permission and not to feel guilty around not being online at 7 a.m. Um, of course, that's become huge in the past couple of years, but it was an issue way before because I, I coach people every day around their personal self-care. 
but the plans um, disappear when the team has different versions of that um, so often. I know I've I've experienced that where there was a vice president said, yeah, 7 a.m., everyone should be available. But someone on the team was a single father. And he said, there's no way I can make a 7 a.m. He goes, at 7 a.m., I'm trying to get the kids up, dressed, have breakfast, and out the door. There's no way I'm going to attend. And the vice president, who was older, and kids were in university, couldn't really understand that, you know, that that dynamic, that it was different. Absolutely. And I think one of the good things around the last couple of years is people have become more mindful of what's happening in people's lives. Yeah. And have had to become more considerate because, of course, there's an expectation that flexibility and care are good leadership now. Well, they're not just good leadership. They're probably non-negotiable if you want to retain staff, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So just um, should I I finish off the the components of team resilience? Yeah, Yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, The next one is, is what we call capability. So imagine a team where lots of things are changing around you, but you stay in the same roles and you stay in the same skill set and you stay internally focused. It's not long before you become irrelevant. So one of the really emerging factors for resilience in a team is very much to have a lot more of that external focus around what is happening with your customers, your stakeholders, what do they want of you now, how well are you doing that, are you getting the feedback on that, are you building your capability accordingly, are you networked well, you know, are you networked with the people who can support you to do your job. So capability in the same way as resourcefulness have almost become a critical component of being able to deliver in a in a really changing environment. So lots of things shifting. We can't expect to be able to do the same things in the same way with the same skill set mm-hmm. and without that external networking. And then we have closely associated with that is a sense of connected. So again, this has been a little bit fractured, but you know, we're talking about teams here. But you know from the business continuity world that it's the connections across the system that matter, <laughs> you know. So how well are we connected within? So do we have the emotional glue that we feel cared and supported, but are we paying attention to the connections across the teams in our organisation and to the teams outside of the organization, in our stakeholder groups, in our supply chain, I'm use different language than me, you know, how well are we attending to that interconnectedness? So I do think that has a real connection to the business continuity. And the last one is actually alignment. And it's whether we're all actually have a shared version of success, whether we are aligned and optimistic, because the opposite of that is a team where People have their own agenda. So we can imagine an executive team where people don't have a shared version of success. They have a version of their success, their department's success, Mm -hmm. or there might not even be much optimism around success. So alignment is about we're all in this together. You know, we're enthusiastic. We're we're optimistic. We can do what we can do. And and our success is everyone's success. Um, so that I mean that's a lot of information in there, and um, you know there's lots of subcomponents in there, but they're the seven components, if you like, that emerged out of our research into measuring this concept called team resilience. You mentioned something. I wanted to jump in and ask the question, but it's mm. the next item on our agenda anyway. Yeah. Organizational culture. How does yes. that impact? team resilience? I'd like to do a switch on that, if I might, because I think that um, culture is developed by people and the usual unit of work in an organization's teams. So I believe it's teams that have the capacity to transform culture. So, um, so, I think that if we can invest in the team's DNA and the DNA that creates resilience, 
we will automatically have teams that are on purpose, they're on values, they are adapting, they are proactive, and that will then influence the culture. And if we're talking about a culture that makes the organisation more resilient, then we can do tick, 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 tick on all those things. So I think culture, we sometimes talk about that being led from the top. And, you know, I think we've all had experiences of the corporate values on the wall that bear no resemblance to what really happens. <laughs> we still need that guiding principle, but we need to empower teams and get the collective um, knowledge and um, input of the team to create what we want the culture to be. And then we actually give them the power and the influence to enable that culture. Yeah, so they're one and the same thing, I think, because my belief from my practice anyway is if we're working with enough teams in alignment um, on these elements, that we will shift culture far better than top-down um, or focusing just on individuals. Is it all teams in the organizations practicing this uh, and being this, or can it even start with just one team? and then spreading that influence out? Yeah, the team's very influential, absolutely. And I guess that's my interest in using technology at the moment to scale is we often, particularly, um, in, you know, in my network, a lot of people are coaches. And, you know, because of budgets and various things, it tends to be quite often only the top teams that get the support around, you know, building their resilience. And perhaps the rest of the organisation gets some workshops about what would it be if every team in the organisation can be doing this? Um, so, you know, but, but the reality is quite often it's it's a couple and we would hope that there's enough influence in those that it could spread out. Um, but the more teams that are aligned and the more they're involved in this and the more you're able to scale it, the more quickly you're going to get that culture shift, I think. Um, particularly when it's quite entrenched and, you know, in, in the, you know, the business continuity and risk management world, you know, um, a culture which is very risk averse, not very, not very good at um, continuous improvement and adapting, stuck in all ways of working, you know, clearly one or two teams and that's not going to make any difference. You've got to create that sort of impetus, haven't you, of enough energy going in the right place. I think of it like a tipping point. You can almost see it sometimes in teams where, suddenly that they've gone from in the wrong direction and suddenly there's enough things happening that it goes in the right direction and you can almost, almost visceral, you can almost feel it. Um, yeah. It, it sounds, maybe I, I'm, I'm thinking uh, incorrectly, but it's, it's not just a manager and her team, her direct reports, but it's also that a team that's made up of managers as well like yes. that's a team as well right yes absolutely so if you think about yourself in a role you know say you're the director you've got you might be a member of the senior leadership team and then you've got you're a member of your function and then within that function your managers and your function are a leadership team across the management and then you might be on a project team so you know so um so we're, we're all in multiple teams. So the more we have that understanding in the way we operate, every time we move or in part of a, part of another team, we bring that DNA with us. And so the more we spread the love, if you like, the more it becomes the way the organisation works. And that's what I've really been um, interested in using tech to scale because previously it's it's very hard to scale good facilitation and working with each team individually um so i've got this you know my vision is if every team across teams and teams of teams and management teams and leadership teams have the same language around what it create what it means for us to be resilient then we can shift cultures and we can definitely create a culture where all the elements that we're wanting for organisational resilience are there. And more importantly, the plans are enabled versus being plans which sit there and then behaviours which sit here. Mm -hmm. A bit of a way off yet, but um, it's nope. a work in progress. <laughs> 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 We've got the tech at the moment, so it's just, yeah, so work in progress. 
<laughs> On that note, I think that's the perfect spot to end our first segment today. We're talking right. with Catherine McEwen, author, entrepreneur, and organizational psychologist. And we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with uh, author, organizational uh, psychologist, entrepreneur, team building expert, Catherine McEwen. Catherine, lots of great information in the first segment there. Um, and at the start of the introduction, you talked about measurement. Well, now let's really talk about that. How do you go about measuring resilience? Yeah, so um, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, that was my main curiosity was the measures. And so we've developed three measures um, published them in the literature, the resilience at work individual scale measures the seven components that create individual resilience. The resilience at work team scale is the one we've been speaking about, but there's also a resilience at work leader scale. And for me, um, the measure, well, that's that's my, my work has been to develop these measures um, and particularly to look at how we align those to create systemic change because I think we focus a lot on the individuals um, a group of individual resilient people does not make a resilient team. It's quite a different construct. And I think in, um, in particularly in my field of measurement, I do get quite um, um, curious at why people think that if we take, say, eight people who are highly resilient and we put them together that they create a resilient team because the construct of team resilience is quite different. And the analogy would be, you know, the team of champions and the champion team you know um just because we've got you know seven you know great ice hockey players and we put them together if they can't play together if the connections aren't worked on then they really can't be resilient and then of course I'm also interested in the impact of leadership so aligning those creates a systemic change and I think the missing piece at the moment that we'll get to is how do we also then connect that to the organizational processes and plans around this concept called organizational resilience? So the how you measure question is what I've been working on and what I've done. Um, I think I've done that piece. I just think there's not this connection at the moment with the organizational resilience piece, which I think we'll get to later anyway. So how do you report it, though? You know, uh, um, and how did, how did I word the, the question? How do you report a resilience level and how do you identify deficiencies to enable yourself to go forward without making it personal? And, and by that, I mean, 
um, you're doing a report, let's say on Alex's team mm-hmm. and let's say the findings are Alex's team is not that resilient. How do you make it, how do you report it in a way that doesn't make it sound like the team members are screwing up or bad or Alex is bad? How do you go about doing that? This is something I feel really strongly about and it's been a really key design principle with our tech platform Click because I did not want people to be compared. And this is the reason why theoretically it's wrong anyway. So, if we're a resilient team, it's actually, it's it's about our context, right? You know, so it's about how we're deploying resources to create a state of resilience, given the challenges we have. So it's dynamic, it shifts, it changes. We can't claim it, we're on a constant journey of it. And what we do is really unique to us. So we can't compare Alex's team to Kath's team because the challenges are uniquely different. So once we start to create benchmarks, which create a sense of deficiency, we're in trouble. What we need to be doing is be taking a strengths focus. Okay, so in your team, Alex, so maybe you're a front public facing team. Maybe you're in the emergency department of the hospital. Maybe I'm in the finance department of the hospital. Your challenges are really different from my challenges. I can't say you're worse than me because it's actually around how you're managing, how you're being the best you can be in your part of the system. And that demands quite different things from me. So our approach in our in our in all of our work is to look at, for the challenges we have, what strengths do we have within our team in terms of relationship processes that we can leverage to better manage that stress? And what might be some areas, not a deficiency, but some areas of development, so some aspect of our resilient DNA that at the moment if we developed would really be helpful because we've definitely moved away from this sense that resilience is static, that it's a trait, there's a personality trait, It's it's a journey of constant dynamic shifting. And we can be going really well. And then suddenly something can happen. We might have a new team member. We might have a new customer. Everything has to be regrouped. So it's a journey. The other thing that I think is really important is the word reporting. You know, reporting always implies we're reporting to someone who probably is the risk management director. You know, it's probably someone who, Mm -hmm. some poor person has been assigned that role that they have to report on. No, it's about collective accountability. All of us have that collective accountability for identifying the challenges we need a healthier relationship with and for working on those. And if we could be tracking those and also tracking our solutions, which is what we're trying to do at the moment with our tech platform, is how wonderful would that be to be able to see across the board what the pain points are, what the trends are, without saying, Alex, you're not good enough. And also to be able to see the solutions that have been generated so that your silo can share them with my silo. So very much taking that strengths approach, very much saying resilience is dynamic, it's changeable, it's a state, it's not a trait. So that whole idea of benchmarking is actually um, not good, not good. So so I'm very, very um, strong on that comparison and not good enough and very strong on reporting and it being one person's responsibility because everyone is collectively accountable for this. There is on that, but that's sort of yeah. (laughs) There is when when um let's like I remember from interviews uh, that I've had throughout the years with different clients or or whether it be full time or contract work, you're always asked, you know, what are your strengths? And it's always followed up with the next question. What are your weaknesses? So if we're reporting, as, as you say, you know, on, on common strengths, or, you know, for each team or, or strengths within a team, I shouldn't say common ones because you did say, you know, there can be differences between teams. But if we're reporting on strengths, doesn't weaknesses fall in there somewhere? Yeah, no. So I'm not saying we discount that, but what I'm saying that, uh... At a team level, because resilience is unique to each team, 
we're identifying the challenge we need a healthier relationship with and we are bringing our existing strengths and looking at our existing development areas for that challenge. So we're not saying we need to be above the benchmark on everything. We're saying for this unique challenge for us, how do we better manage it together? What do we need to do for our team process dynamics, stakeholder engagements to better manage that challenge? So we can't compare because the challenge that is going to get you resilient at the moment in your emergency department can be quite different from me in my back office role. But we are both becoming more resilient because we're developing a healthier relationship with the challenge we have that that we need to better manage to stay relevant, to stay well, or to stay, you know, in business. Um, the traditional let's measure everyone and you've all got to be above this area and mm. you're slipping on that one, Alex, you know, pick your game up. It's just It just doesn't fit with the dynamic nature of resilience. It doesn't fit with the uniqueness of resilience. It doesn't fit with the we need to harness strengths and not make people feel bad because there's equally opportunities as well as um, development areas in all of every challenge, isn't there? Yes. Uh, the challenges I, essentially are your risks. You know, if you're identifying the challenges, you're identifying the risks. And you brought up a good point. Yeah, I personally have never, ever, ever liked that uh, performance review, that annual right. performance review where, yeah. you know, you need to work on all these deficiencies, you know, all these things. Well, if you're focusing on that, then all of a sudden you're not focusing on your strength and you, it actually brings you down. In my opinion, it actually brings you down. Definitely. It's not making me more resilient. It's making me worse. <laughs> Definitely. And I think in hard times, which we've had, the deficit focus leads, leads to hopelessness. Yeah. You know, if we feel we're failing on all, you know, so even the most, I, I, one of the areas I do a lot of work in is dysfunctional teams or teams in trouble, I prefer to call them. Even in the worst team, there are things that are good, you know, and you have to capture them and you have to build from them. Um, you can't go in and say, you're a terrible team, that's why I'm here. Look at all these things you've got to work on. It's okay, well, what is good here? Yeah. What did you do the last time that worked? You know, so it's very much that language and we're trying to build that strengths-based language also into our conversation. So when we do our work with building team resilience, whether it's our um, personal facilitation as coaches or whether it's in our tech um, platform, what we're trying to do all the time is look at how do we build a language which is a coaching language, which is about um, talking about our strengths, harnessing the strengths, looking at our development areas in a very constructive strengths-based way. So rather than pick your act up, Alex, you know, it's about what would it look like if we were more connected with our stakeholders rather than, you know, your clients are complaining about you. <laughs> so the whole language, you know, the whole language around resilience, you know, the strengths-based is very powerful because people then also don't feel in deficit. So not, not only are they not getting reported on the comparisons, they don't feel their problems are um, negative things. They feel that they see them more as, ways in which we can improve and opportunities um i sound very psychology here but but it's true it's true <laughs> no, it's, well hey you're you're a psychologist you know organizational yeah, psychologist so so you can yeah. get you know uh, psychological <laughs> there that's okay <laughs> thank you um I, I thought of another question there as, as you were talking as well uh because in an earlier example you mentioned sometimes um our resilience will will change because uh, our roles change or our, our team focus changes. We yes. take on a big load of extra clients, I think was one of your examples. Yes. How do you go about addressing if a team is feeling resilient, but in their next quote unquote reporting uh, or measurement period, they've dipped? And it could yes. be because extra work has been thrown at yeah. them. You know, how do you go about addressing that? It's a good question because I say to people sometimes when lots of things have gone wrong and you've not gone backwards, it's progress. Hmm. You know, so sometimes you can see people have slightly dipped. And this is a really common thing. People have slightly dipped or, or, or maybe they're the same. But when you look at the challenges they've been taken on, they're huge. So I see that as progress because somewhere in the DNA of the you know the re resilient DNA, um, what they've been able to do is better manage that than they might otherwise have, and the dip is not quite so much a dip. 
And I think the other factor we have to acknowledge is that if resilience is a dynamic state, it does dip. It goes up and it dips and, you know, and we can't say we're okay, we're good, we've, we've, we've got, done this. Mm-hmm. Or, and equally not say, we've, you know, we've messed this up and we're stuck down here now. It's it's fluid. And so it's a very, very important principle, I think, when thinking about this is it's very context-specific and it's variable. That's true. If you want to reach, uh, you know, the the most beautiful valley, you got to climb some mountains. And mm, I'm well sure about that. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you want to see the highest hills, you got to go through the lowest valleys. So yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so it is. You know, as you say, yeah. lots of up and downs. So let's let's look at alignment. How do we align this to other disciplines like business continuity management, risk, et cetera, et cetera? How do we bring all this together? Yeah, so that's sort of the holy grail, I think, because I think we've got some great work work happening in your space, some great work working in my space, but I actually don't see the connections. And just as a backstory, a few years ago, I got asked to um, co-present at a conference with a chap called Jason Gotch. So hi, Jason, if you're listening. And um, Jason was away and I researched him to think about, okay, well, we'll co-present it. And I was shocked because... There was all this language I'd never heard of around organizational resilience. He was, you know, BCI, disaster management, you know, cybersecurity. I'm thinking, there's no way we can co-present. We're in different, you know, planets. Um, but what I did is I came across the 100 Resilient Cities framework and the attributes. And straight away, I saw this amazing synergy because they were talking about attributes that I was talking about, robust, resourceful, flexible, integrated. And so I presented on linking teams' resilience to these attributes. And I still think there's a lot that could be done in that space. And I make the analogy with values in organisations. So my first memory of values was in the 1980s when organisations were looking at culture change. And the idea was if we had some guiding principles, we wouldn't need to have huge numbers of plans and details on anything because the guiding principles would be, you know, all we need. So we could think of those guiding principles, attributes, if you want to call them, as the linkages. Um, Because if we had plans which were truly integrated, um, were flexible or inclusive, you know, if we have plans like that, if we had, um, and we're working um, co- cooperatively um, within teams on that, then that creates the alignment. And the other thing that came to mind when I was thinking um, at that time was that I'd done a, um, I facilitated a strategic risk meeting in a very large health network. And at the end of the day, they had all these strategic risks. And someone said, but none of these are around the patient. And the CEO quickly said, oh, you know, okay, what we're going to do. And and someone said, oh, we can rewrite them around the patient. But I just thought that was a really interesting misalignment because they were doing huge work on um, ethos, patient-centered care and their values. And here we were at a strategic risk meeting where there wasn't any linkages to that. So I, I don't think we're ever going to get, because your world's really different. It's a lot about plans and systems and standards and quite a different language. Mine's more around behaviours. But Jason subsequently got me um, involved in an interest group looking at what organisational resilience was and also got me to present um, at the Risk Institute of Australia. And everyone agreed with me that culture was important and, um, you know, if we didn't have these resilient teams, we weren't going to be able to deliver on all our plans and our, you know, BCI and so on. So maybe these um, maybe these attributes are the linkages because I'm not sure how we could have different measures. Um, I, I know some people are trying to do that and maybe if, the, you know, the measures can still be aligned, I'm not quite sure. But I... I don't know about you, Alex, but I don't think we've nailed that yet anywhere near. No, I think we're a ways from that. But I think the core that your business continuity or organization resilience, whatever, needs to focus on the things that you brought forward first. Before you even look, you know, how resilient is our 
plan. Well, um, because you gave the good example, you know, just a, a minute ago about all those risks that were identified and they actually didn't address some of the core values and where they should have been focusing on the patient. Mm-hmm. Well, that could happen too in business continuity. They'll focus on a plan, but not actually the people, places, and things they need to focus on that these plans address. Yes. yes. So I, I I think what what needs to happen is they take a step back from looking at the deliverable and look more at the road. Absolutely. And I wonder, I wonder whether another aspect of that in this looking at the road is I'm noticing, and and I saw this one when I was on this interest group around organizational resilience is people were just rebadging existing functions and roles and positioning for a new role, um, you know, as as organizational resilience officer or whatever that might be. Um, you know, it's the more adding on roles, and I'm quite interested in how the chief well-being officer is going to add to the mix of all this as well. We've yet to see, but we don't want roles. We want integrated skill sets that create plans which are integrative and reflective that are um, supported by by people who are integrated and reflective using the hundred resilient city principles here. So the more we go into ownership and rebadging ourselves and reinventing ourselves and you know a bit like reinventing the word resilience. Why? Why are we reinventing a beautiful word like resilience? We don't need to. We know what it is. Why do we need to reinvent a new role called organizational resilience? This is just a concept that we bring existing knowledge and skill in which we get teams to uh, to use their collective energy to enable rather than some poor person having to consult with teams and then write it up and then maybe feel it's put in a cupboard that no one looks at. Um, yeah, so um, skills versus roles, integration versus silos. Uh, <laughs> yeah, lots of things um, quite aspirational in, in some ways, but lots of things to be thinking about because if we continue down this fixed role thing and you know mm. and you know my stuff might be stuck with the chief well-being officer now and having worked with so many executive teams where integration doesn't happen <laughs> um it, is it going in the right direction is the question we only have four minutes left but you just yeah. got me thinking about one other quick question mm-hmm. how does diversity inclusion and equality come into this with building team uh, resilience Diversity and inclusion create far better decision-making. However, without psychological safety, they don't make any difference. And there is some emerging research around this. So we can do all our diversity inclusion until we're blue in the face. But if I'm a, um, you know, if I'm a minority group, um, younger female, and I don't feel psychologically safe, then I really, it's not, it's not going to work. Um, absolutely. Um, so again, it's on slight, you know, we also have our diversity inclusion offices now, <laughs> you know, so there's all these functions that arise, but it's, you know, if we can create psychological safety and inclusion at our team levels, we don't need diversity inclusion reporting of functions. Sorry, diversity inclusion offices. I'm not discounting the importance of it. It's just the way in which it's, it evolves as a role I know rather, uh, rather than a fabric of the way we are and the way we are in our team is we listen to each other we we appreciate diverse opinions we we're happy to be challenged and that's part of this dna of resilience in these components that we're looking at is the capacity to constructively identify and discuss and surface the stuff that's getting in the way um, and take it forward and that builds our resilience as a team. We adapt more, we're more creative, we innovate more, we're more relevant to the business. We have two minutes left. You want to take one minute for any final thought on building team resilience? Um, yeah, I just want to reinforce the over-focus on individual resilience and that if we don't create alignment in our teams, then we can spend decades trying to invest in self-care and it's not going to make any difference. I'm not saying that's not important. We have to show up having done that. But now's the teams to ha- now's the time to harness the power of teams. 
to be able to scale measurement, to be able to get great data, to be able to link those, um, all the different pieces of the equation in this space. Um, yeah, and to do some um, some great things which are the fabric of the organisation rather than separate plans and functions. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. You know, the, uh, I, Sometimes I think those are just Band-Aid solutions to give the appearance mm-hmm. of something mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. actually addressing it. And, in, and in, they call it weaponizing resilience quite often when you're running resilient workshops and saying, you know, suck it up, princess, get, a, get another leg or whatever that makes sense. <laughs> um, you know, but it's the system issue. So systemic is the way to go. We have to have systemic approaches that are far beyond the individual and beyond teams and leaders as well that actually look at the whole ecosystem and the plans and the BCI and the cybersecurity are part of that ecosystem. So all pieces of the ecosystem are dynamic. They're shifting. They're changing. We need to start to try and get some alignment around what that is um, to really create sustainable solutions. And gosh, we're going to need them because it's just, um, yeah, it's um, an interesting world out there at the moment, isn't it? Well, we've come to the end of the show. Catherine, thank you very much for joining us. I really enjoyed the things you had to convey, the measurement, the alignment, the diversity, the defining uh, and, and you know how we can go about building team resilience without making people, you know, feel as though they they are wrong and they're bad. And I really like what you had to say about you know uh, some of these positions that are getting created and these plans <laughs> that doesn't address building team resilience. You know, I so I really uh, enjoyed our our chat today. So thank you very much for sharing all of that information. Thank you, Alex. It's been a pleasure. And uh, shout out to Tammy Horton and uh, for mentioning you. And uh, uh, you mentioned someone else. Oh, yes, Artie as well. Thank you, yeah. Artie. For, I saw you mentioned the definition. So <laughs> yes, Dr. Artie Anshell, who has also been on the show. So thank you, everyone. And thank you, Catherine, for joining us. I really appreciate it. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.